We will be in Genesis chapter 25. And we lost the slides. We are just learning our uh, technical abilities here. Getting our wings, looking to be an, uh, a blessing to those around us. Good. In June, when I preached, Tracy, you go ahead and click the next slide here. It'll take a while. It's okay. Just once. In June, when I preached, I passed out these puzzle pieces. These four puzzle pieces all came from the same puzzle, as did the pieces that are in this cup. They all look very different. They look like they have no place together, but they do. Uh, they're all shaped differently. We've got one corner. We've got one. There's no orange in any of the other pieces but that one. There's no gold in any of the other pieces but that one. That one's just blue. It doesn't have any innies. It has all outies. There. We go, what is its place? And a lot of times we as believers may wonder what is our place? Why am I why don't I have pretty flowers? Why don't I have golden filigree? Why am I just blue? Some things to note is that I didn't choose the piece that I got. I am what I am. I didn't choose the color of my piece. It is what it is. I didn't choose the shape. I didn't choose whether I got to be a middle, an edge, or a corner. We are all created male and female, tall or short, gifted at math or languages, sports or arts. You were born to parents you did not choose. You did not choose whether they would stay together or whether they would divorce. But God knew. Each puzzle piece fits into God's puzzle and God's purpose and God's plan whether you like it or not. It is what it is. Much of what you are and who you are is absolutely outside of your control. Are you going to lament your peace? Or are you going to be thankful for what God has given you and bring glory to Him in the peace that you are? As I shared last time, Isaac, Isaac displays perhaps the vivid and glorious color and contour of God's plan while being perhaps the most vanilla piece in all of Scripture. He is the child of the covenant, the child promised to Abraham and Sarah. So it's exciting to see his coming about, but you look at his life and you go, ah. You read through it and you go, ah. Abraham, oh, there's a lot of stuff. And then you get to Jacob, conniving, gnarly Jacob. And then in between is Isaac. 
But it is because of Isaac that God would begin to make that great nation that he promised to Abraham. The great name through whom he would bless all nations. Were we to pass Isaac on the street or in the mall? Does anybody go to the mall anymore? Were we to pass Isaac in the mall, we'd look at him and go, eh. We'd dismiss him at work. We'd think not much of him. But today in three vignettes in chapter 25, in three little scenes, we are going to see God's great work in an extraordinarily ordinary man. But a called man. A man called to continue his covenant work along. The covenant that God made with Abraham was not completed in Isaac, but Isaac was a necessary and beloved piece of God's wonderful puzzle. The work that began with Israel continued on through to the cross of Christ and continues here on a very hot corner of northern Texas today. So in Isaac today, I hope that we will find encouragement as God's covenant people to continue serving him in the ordinariness of death and life under the sun. Let's bow before God here this morning and pray. Father, as we come before you, oh, Father, we want to submit ourselves to you. You are our God. You have created us. You have redeemed us in Christ. And so, even now, if there be stubbornness in our hearts as your children, oh, that you would convict us. Oh, if there is sin, that that we would confess it and come before you. Oh, Father, what a blessing that you have promised to cleanse us from all sin, from all unrighteousness. That you will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. And so, We come to listen, to hear your word, to see your word, to see your work. Guard our hearts and minds. God, guard my lips that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. The first snippet we're going to look at today is we see in the death of Abraham, Isaac actually continues to foster peace within his family. If you look down at verse 7 of chapter 25, it says, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. So if you you take that truth that he died at 175 years and you look at some of the numbers around this, we're going to do some quick math here. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. He died at 175, therefore Isaac was 75 years old when his father died. Last time we talked about Sarah's death. Sarah died at 127 when Isaac was 36 years old. Four years before he married Rebekah. So his mother died when Isaac was 36. Four years later, at 40 years old, he married Rebekah. You see this in Genesis chapter 23 and verse 1. 
But Abraham, if he died at 175, lived for 35 years after the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. Okay? If that's true, we know then that Abraham saw his grandsons, both Isaac and Jacob. You don't ever see any snippets of Abraham, Isaac, or Abraham, Jacob, and Esau, sorry, Jacob and Esau together, but by the numbers you can expect that they knew one another. In the first verses of chapter 25, if we were to read through them and spend some time in there, we see that Abraham remarried. He remarried and he had a mess of other sons as well. Okay, so, so we've got Isaac and we've got Ishmael, and then we've got all of the sons that he had through Keturah. And to those sons, verse 6 of 25, it says, To the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living. He sent them away from his son Isaac eastward toward the east country. All that he gave, if you back up into verse 5, Abraham gave all to Isaac. Isaac was the son of the covenant, and so he was going to receive all of the blessing. Gifts he gave to his other sons. In the death of Abraham, in God's dictation here, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. You see that this is, this is spoken of, Abraham's death is spoken of positively. It's a sweet picture of Abraham. And this a small rabbit trail here. We'll take a small rabbit trail. It's important for us when we look at death, when we have death of loved ones, that we have a right theology and a right understanding of what death is. We will all face death, either our own or of loved ones, in our lifetime. And what we see from Scripture is that we see two things. One, death is not good. Death is a result of the fall. Death is a result of sinful man. God's just punishment came in the consequence to sin. It was a consequence to sin on the macro scale that way, but oftentimes it is a result of sin individual in our own lives. Sin can bring death. And as such, with this, it is important for us to fight for life, to Inflict death upon the innocent is criminal. This is why we have saints fighting for uh, the right to life of unborn children. So, on one hand in Scripture we see that death is not good. On the other hand, we do see that death is good. We go, whoa. Psalm 116 verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. Paul said that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's a good thing. He told that to the Corinthian church, to the Philippians, he said to live is Christ and to die is gain. It is far better that I would die and go and be with Christ. When we no longer will suffer the pain of cancers, and back issues, and migraines, and stones, and uh, you know, name the malady. 
There will be no more physical ill. There will be no more spiritual ill. So as we as we think of death, and man, we just like scratch the surface. We could do a whole series of sermons on death and the Christian having a right understanding. But in the death of Abraham, we see something extraordinary. Look at verse nine. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. Yeah, okay. No. Isaac and Ishmael. Man, we haven't heard from Ishmael for, for chapters. When last we heard of Ishmael, he had set off, he had been set apart from Abraham's family. He was living, living down south, almost into the Sinai Peninsula, well away from Isaac and Abraham and Sarah. Chapter 21, verses 20 and 21, indicate that God was with Ishmael as he went. Ishmael was an expert with the bow. And Hagar, his mother, who was from Egypt, took a wife for him from Egypt. Okay, again, nothing stated good or ill, just the facts, ma'am. Joe Friday, very plain narrative in there. But Ishmael is away, so Ishmael would have no way of knowing his father died. Unless Isaac told him. Unless Isaac sent word to Ishmael and said, Dad died. And Isaac, and it it doesn't say this, but we have to infer this, that Isaac sent word to Ishmael to come and let's bury our father together. But where's the excitement? Where's the animosity? Shouldn't there be conflict? Ishmael was born first, but Isaac's the son of the covenant, and so there should be conflict between these two brothers. We don't see this. That would turn the Middle East on its head right now. That the Arabs and the Israelites actually got along at the very beginning? Yes, they did. In Isaac, we see a beautiful picture of God's intent for the saint to be at peace with all men. We read that in Romans 12, verse 18 at the start of the service this morning. Now, to be at peace with all men does not mean I condone a sinful lifestyle. Oh, you know, you, 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 you do that. that, that's fine. Okay, I can't. I have, to, I have to speak the truth, but I also have to be a man of great grace. There is a time here in the death of their father that if there is conflict, let's put this aside and let us come together in love and bury our dad. When natural disasters strike, we don't rejoice in the sovereign hand of God. Are we to rejoice always? Yes. Is God's hand sovereign? Yes. Should we rejoice in the sovereign hand of God? Yes. In disaster, that is not the appropriate time to be exulting over the hurricane. That is the time to weep with those who weep. 
to hurt, to come alongside, to help and aid. When evil rises in the land, we don't pound our chest and recognize that God does use evil to bring about his just and right punishments. We grieve. We grieve the wickedness. We seek to bring about rightness to our land and to our community. So in Isaac, we we see a beautiful picture. I, I don't know what's going on with Ishmael. We don't know if there's conflict. But as it is, Isaac reaches out to his brother at this time in unity to come and bury the father. The predicament of the human condition in a fallen world demands that those who know God extend the love of God during times of darkness, devastation, and need. We don't condone a sinful lifestyle, but if somebody has a broken bone, we set the bone. In the aftermath, of this situation. Verse 11, after the death of Abraham, we see that God blessed his blessed Isaac, his son. Saltes. Would we expect any less? Wouldn't we expect God to bless the son of the covenant? Do you understand, saint, that you have been adopted into God's covenant family? Do you expect God to bless you? Do you know that God's blessings are upon you? Do you see them? Do you have eyes to see in your successes and in your sufferings? The father is aware of his child even when the child is oblivious. Second thing we see in the aftermath is that Isaac settles in, of all places, Ber Lahai Roy. Ber, whenever you see Ber, that's a well. Okay. Um, this is the well that Hagar fled to when she found out she was pregnant. And Sarah despised her, considering she had conceived by her husband. So she fled, she fled to this well. This is the well of the living one who sees. That's what Be'er Lahai Roy means. The well of the living one who sees. And in irony, this is where Isaac chooses to live. In this very same location. At this point, we move into the second vignette, the second picture. The first we see that God's covenant man seeks peace with those around him. In the second vignette, we will see that God's man, God's covenant man, God's covenant people will work within their own family. They will seek God's good within their family. In verse 12, you see these are the generations of Ishmael. In verse 19, you see these are the generations of Isaac. This is not the first time this phrase has showed up in Genesis. Genesis is replete with these little bookmarks. 
These are the generations of. As you come to those bookmarks, as you read through Genesis, Genesis, what you are going to find is something new. A new emphasis. A new focus. Here in a nutshell are these people. Let me now expound upon that. You see the generations of the creation, the generations of Adam, the generations of Noah, the generations of Noah's son Shem, and Terah, Abraham's father. Later on you will see the generations of Esau and Jacob. But here we are going to focus on the story of Isaac. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son, in verse 19. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. As we read on, we are going to find that Isaac is 60 years old in verse 26 when Jacob and Esau are born. They got married at 40. At 60, Jacob and Esau are born. So Rebekah's barren for 20 years. Isaac began to pray for Rebekah. When? It doesn't say. How long did Isaac petition God before he answered his prayer. But something to consider. Let's back up for a moment. Rebecca was barren. Isaac marries Rebecca with the expectation of having children. Why? Because it's natural. It's normal. Back then, there was no way to stop it unless you stopped it. And that, too, is unnatural. God intended for intimacy to be between the man and the woman and thereby there would be children. Marriage implies family. Family implies children. This is not so in our culture anymore. This was normal. Such a thought is now considered abnormal. Aren't you going to wait? Find yourself first. What about the adventure you can all have together? Oh, this is going to hamper your career. Your salary is going to be diminished because you are having children and now you are out of the workforce. You are discouraged from having children. And now we have the technology to avoid it. But that is not God's design. There is much to discuss biblically amongst ourselves about that truth. We'll leave it there for now. But Isaac expected a son. Why? Because the covenant had to continue. The covenant had come once again to a screeching halt. God is making this promise and it ain't happening. 
But Isaac, rather than turning to a maidservant, turns to the living God on behalf of his wife. And he intercedes. And I would contend that he interceded for a time. I doubt very much that it was the first time and God responded. Because it was 20 years that they were married before the children were conceived. Now, if you didn't hear both of Jeremy's sermons on prayer, on the Lord's Prayer, I would commend them to you. We do have them on podcast, so you can, you can listen to them. You can go online and listen to them. Uh, we missed the first one. I listened to it last weekend. And a, a great understanding of how we are to pray constantly, consistency, consistently to God. A couple of points. And I'll probably steal from him. God doesn't need you to pray. He doesn't need you to pray. God established the covenant. He was going to do it. He said he would. But how is he going to do it? Through your petitions, through your prayers. That will be the catalyst for the movement. Think about this. Um, There are two women in this church who make extraordinary cinnamon rolls. uh, Sarah and Elaine. Unbelievable. If I said to Tracy, oh, Tracy, those cinnamon rolls are great. I love those cinnamon rolls. And she went, note to self. She took my, oh, would you make them one day? Could you please? She goes, okay, I'll see what I can do. Well, she's got to contact Sarah or Elaine, get the recipe, and go, okay. And now i got to make sure we got all the ingredients. And so she, at some point in the future, she goes, ah, I know he's going to be home this day. It's going to be a special day for him. I'm going to make cinnamon rolls. And I'm in bed, sound asleep. Uh, freaky day where maybe I actually sleep late uh, for once. And I wake up and I, oh, I smell cinnamon rolls. The house smells awesome. And I walk out into the kitchen and there, frosted, gooey, two pans of glory. If I do nothing but tear into the cinnamon rolls, I've missed it. There is one who loves me dearly, who heard my voice and answered my prayer. If I see those, I turn to her and I go, "Ah, you did that for me. I go and throw my arms around her. Oh, thank you. Our relationship, oh, is sweet. The cinnamon rolls are really just a byproduct. But she just lavished her love upon me by answering my request, and it just built my adoration for my bride. That's prayer. I say something to God and probably forget that I even requested it. And time passes and all of a sudden there it is. Do I forget and just tear into the cinnamon rolls or do I go, oh God, you are so good to me and so kind. 
But this is a family where this is natural. Because it's not just Isaac who does this. Rebecca does this as well. So God answers the prayer in the middle of verse 21. God granted his prayer and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. And it was not a good pregnancy. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? Okay, and you go, well, we can infer that this was a terribly difficult pregnancy through this lament and because how many children did Rebecca have after this? None. She didn't have any. So this this pregnancy may have been so devastating that it ruined her ability to have children hereafter. Inference. Doesn't say that anywhere, but it was a hard pregnancy. Oh, so she is crying out essentially into the darkness, why is this happening to me? But it didn't stay there. Notice the end of the verse, end of verse 22. So she went to inquire of the Lord. As Isaac petitioned on behalf of his wife, now Rebecca petitions on behalf of herself. She doesn't go to her husband and say, you did this to me, and beat his chest. But she goes to the Lord, oh God, help me. What is going on? And the Lord responded to her. An incredible providential response. More puzzle pieces of God's extraordinary plan and design. Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one will be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. What had they done? Nothing. God in his providence decided. He picked that the older would serve the younger. That the younger would be prominent. That these two would be divided. And we see this play out in history. Four to five hundred years later, Israel has become the most prominent nature, nation sorry, in the region. And Edom, Esau is a little bitty dominion down southeast of the Dead Sea. Edom ultimately is destroyed because of its rebellion and stubborn heart. You see that play out through the prophets and exclamation pointed in Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. They fought in the womb. They would fight in their youth. Their descendants would fight throughout history. Why? Sin. Sin. And God's providence. But God's good purpose in the puzzle that he is putting together is made possible through these two nations. Verse 24, When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, 
all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So they were fraternal twins, not identical twins. That they looked so starkly different. That they were of different statures, of of different skin tones and textures. Different cells, different eggs. Not an egg divided into two to become identical twins, but two separate eggs. There. So, in the first vignette, we see that Isaac seeks peace within his family, especially with his brother. In the second vignette, we see both Isaac and Rebekah seeking God on behalf of their family. The third vignette is not really seeking, but more cautionary. A cautionary look at playing favorites in verse 27 and 28. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. We'll stop right there for right now. Not only did they look different, they were different. For those who are parents, it may amaze you that your children are different. That children from the same parents can be different. It makes sense. Of course they are. But sometimes it staggers the mind how different they can be. Jacob and Esau were about as different as they come. Esau, hunter, man of the field, outside guy. Jacob, not a quiet man, perhaps an academic, dwelling in tents. And if we left it at this point, this would not be a big deal. What is a real man? Yes. A hunter or an academic? Great. A poet or a priest. Great. Let each one pursue the avenue along which their interests lie. Go ahead. Do it. As long as it doesn't conflict with the Word of God. As long as it's not sin. It's not a denial of how you were created. Created them male and female. I want to be a mom. You can't be a mom. You're a dude. You can't. I must live my life in accordance with reality. I mean, I I can deny gravity. I can deny that the light is red. All I want, but someday the consequences knit into God's physical and spiritual world will shatter my being. So... What do they want to do? Great! Go for it! One's an outside guy, one's an inside guy. Uh-oh! Isaac loved, Re- loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now at first blush, this verse might make us go, Isaac loved, had affections for Esau. Why? Because he made, man, brought home some great deer. Rebecca had affections for Jacob. Why? Because he's in the tent all the time. Does that not stand to reason? I would contend this is natural. You would expect this. 
Now, at the same time, you go, but wait, James 2 talks about partiality. Don't show partiality. If a rich man comes into the church, you go, oh, here, you know, sit here in the second row because nobody sits in the first row. Here, you, you guys, LaRoxy, go to the back. We got rich people coming in. Okay, wrong. That's favoritism. I am now showing partiality. I am elevating somebody up that I don't even know. Why? Based on their pocketbook. That is sinful. But in the very nature of our relationships, there are people we prefer to other people. I married her. Is that sinful? No. There are people we naturally get along with. That is normal. Jesus had three that he was really close to. Peter, James, and John. Was that sinful? No. There are people we are going to naturally knit to more than others that we will naturally connect with based upon who we are. That's okay. If it doesn't lead to divisions within the family. And in this verse, we get a sense of conflict with the but. Isaac and Esau, but Rebekah and Jacob. And so you see that mm, this conflict between the brothers coming out of the womb, and we'll get into this next time we meet. If that had not led to divisions within the family, I would contend it's not a problem. Eh, Rebecca got along best with Jacob, but she still loved Esau. She didn't ostracize him. If if Isaac loved Esau, loved his game, but didn't ostracize Jacob and still trained him up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, great! Our natural affections as parents or as saints must not derail our responsibilities to one another or to our children. As a parent, I must love and care for, and when I say love, in, in this passage where it says Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob, it's an affection. It's a, I like you. But we know that love extends beyond merely, I like you. It means I am going to lay down myself for you. And so as a parent, I must, yes, have affection for all my children. And I must train them up. They are my stewardship. I have to care for them and have the affections for them. At the same time, my kids aren't the same. They're not the same. Some are going to require more discipline, more training than others. Some are going to require more negative training. Some are going to require more positive training. They're different. It's not t-ball. You can't treat them all the same. That's true in the church. Different people have different needs. 
different, require different exhortations, maybe require a rebuke. Some people maybe require never a rebuke. But I can't play favorites to the harm of somebody else. If somebody comes in smelling of alcohol in the back corner and, man, they haven't bathed in, in who knows how long. I can't just chat with Ty because I'm familiar with Ty. You know, I need to perhaps forsake my chatting with Ty and go minister to a soul that desperately needs it. May God give us eyes to see. So how, as parents, should we shepherd our children? On our knees. On our knees. How do I train up different children? Different daughters, different kids. How do I do it? I see God's help. I have to cling to Christ to help me be aware of their unique identity, their unique fabric. I need to cultivate the way that they should go. This is what pastors have to do within the church as well. How do we minister to the flock diverse and different? How do I minister to the flock as a whole? How do I minister to the family as a whole? It's similar. At the same time, even though our children are going to have directions, oh, I want to go this way. It's like, great, come over here and look over here too. Let me expose you to different things. Hey, Esau, get in the tent. Cook a meal. You make the meal. What? No, teach them how. Hey, Jacob, grab the bow and go outside. Don't hurt yourself. But most of all, that we train up our children, that we in the church exhort one another to the fear and admonition of the Lord. Isaac was a very ordinary man. Next time we get together and talk about Isaac, we're going to see more ordinariness in his life. Difficulty in the work environment. Sons who just don't get along. But he, he experienced things that we will experience today. The death of our parents, physical trials perhaps with a spouse or knowing friends who are having difficulty with their spouses. Challenges in parenting, challenges in the church. And I don't know how these pieces fit together. And the, my point in passing these out to you is for you guys to cling to these knowing that you will never know what the picture looks like. You're never going to know what the picture looks like. That's okay. But you know the God who has given you what he has given you. He's ordering his pieces of his puzzle as he sees fit. We are just called to keep on keeping on, to seek peace within our families, to intercede for our church and our biological families and the families around us. And we are to tend to the duties that God has given to us. So for the saint who is here, for the believer who is here in Christ, hold fast to the sure hope of Christ. Cling to Christ as you seek what you ought to be doing in your work, in your home, and here in the church. 
for the saint who is here, who is off four-wheeling, who has been living in disobedience and in rebellion. Even now, repent and return to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Satan intends to take what is beautiful and destroy it. God is going to take what has been destroyed and restore it to something beautiful. Saint, I don't care how bad you've messed up, how many trees you've hit, God can do great and wonderful things with your broken puzzle piece. For the one who is here and does not know God, know this. You will find no greater joy, no greater delight, no greater pleasure, no greater peace in anything in this world. You may know temporary joy, delight, and peace, and pleasure, and contentment, but they will wither and die faster than unwatered plants in Wichita Falls in August. Today you can put off the yoke of slavery and sin, and today you can find freedom and union with the living God. Let's bow together. Father, an ordinary and vanilla man. Oh, but your glory is seen in the life of Isaac as he loved his brother, as he petitioned you on behalf of his wife, as he even trained up his children and loved Esau. Oh, Father, even now give us wisdom to be your people, to be your covenant people in this church, in our homes, in our community. Oh, God, that that people would come to know you through the gospel spoken from our mouths, that you would give us opportunity to share the hope that is within us. Lord, would you do that? Burden our hearts with those who do not know you. Build your church. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen.